Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. And finally, after months of uncertainty uh, and a stretch of pessimism followed by a stretch of optimism, we have information and if you're listening to this podcast you no doubt have already heard but the sec has officially announced what they plan to do with its football season or what if their football season they the conference has announced what it's going to do with its football season their lead they the leaders have announced what they're going to do with their season and that is a 10 game conference schedule with no out of conference games meaning Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, all just left out to dry for their out-of-conference rivalries. But Wes and Chris will jump right in. No messing around today because just so much to get to, finally. Um, Chris, what was your level of surprise when you heard the SEC's announcement Thursday afternoon, evening? You know, in terms of the conference-only schedule, there was uh, zero surprise. Um and full admission here. Um, I didn't hear or even see it live. I caught up on it a little bit later because I was absolutely chilling out at the beach on Thursday. Um, but <clears throat> I did I did see it a little bit later. And it, it, really, it wasn't a surprise, man. I mean, th- this is the way that, you know, once the Pac-12 um, or the Big Ten, rather, got this started, the Big Ten and then the Pac-12, you know, we had heard that the conference at the SEC in particular was likely moving towards that model, that everybody else in the Power Five would move towards that model, and, and some others as well. So <clears throat> really no surprise. I think the biggest question was, would there be some type of, like would there be an allowance for a plus one or something? Because we knew some schools in the conference wanted to play that. For instance, Tennessee wanted to play an out-of-conference team. Uh, I think Oklahoma's on their schedule, if I'm not mistaken. They wanted to play them. We knew and have reported multiple times that South Carolina and Clemson wanted to play each other. Both schools were in favor of that. The SEC, you know, from from what some people are putting out, sort of nicks that idea. But whether it was Ray Tanner, Will Muschamp, Bob Caslin, all those people pushed for it. You know, they all wanted to play that game, but it just wasn't in the cards. And so – um, that, that to me was the bigger question. I can't say I'm surprised that they didn't, you know, go with a plus one or some type of, you know, nine conference games plus one schedule. Um, but the fact that they're moved to a conference only or an almost conference only schedule was, was something that, that just seemed the way it was going to go. Wes, what was your level of surprise? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I really, other than what we were hearing around here, I'll tell you, to give credit where it's due, um, you know, I, I followed Ross Dellinger, the guy for SI, throughout this thing because, I mean, his um, his, his stuff has just been on point for the entire process as far as what the SEC has been thinking. And, you know, I had seen where he had reported basically the day before that that's, that's the direction this was headed. So, 
I trusted his reporting. My my one question uh, was was the ACC able to sort of force the SEC's hand because I, I firmly believe that that was the attempt. Um, the ACC just sort of reversed course as far as when they were going to announce, um, you know, what they were doing. Figured out that they were going plus one. I think as a PR move and to a, either a force the SEC to do the same or b take it off, you know, their shoulders and put it on the SEC and to where they can say, well, we tried, but the SEC didn't. Um, so I, I wondered a bit would that change things with the ACC going ahead and saying, hey, we're going to do a plus one. But um, overall, other than that little aspect and that little wrinkle, I wouldn't say completely surprised mm. because I think the SEC just wants to control. They want to be able to control um, as much of this as possible and by keeping it in-house, um, you know, that allows them to do that. Now, could you make the argument that the SEC and the ACC probably could have worked together on this a bit better? Could they have Could they have come up with a policy uh, in unison as far as standards for play and protocols and stuff like that? Um, absolutely. I would argue yes. But I think ultimately the SEC just decided they were maybe more comfortable um, – you know, with their own umbrella here where they can control everything, control the schedule. If something happens where you have to push games around, you have the power to do that. Um, you know, you can force every school to sort of follow the same protocol. All right. Well, I'm surprised by both of y'all's lack of surprise because, Wes, even though I saw that Ross Dellinger report, it was, I think, Wednesday afternoon, like right before the ACC made its announcement that the SEC was leaning towards 10-game conference only slate and not having the extra plus one, after the ACC made that announcement, I didn't perceive it as the ACC trying to strong-arm the SEC. I just assumed that it was done with a wink and a nod and that conversations had been had between those two conferences because the fact that all the Power 5 conference officials wouldn't be having conversations with each other to try to figure out how to make this happen. And I understand that it can't be a one-size-fits-all policy exactly because... COVID-19 has hit the southeastern portion of the country different than it's hit the northwestern part of the country. So not even to say, hey, well, what are you doing? We want to do that. But just to say, hey, what are you doing? What can we do to, to make this similar? Like maybe we like an idea that you have. Maybe you like an idea that we have. I thought that they were having conversations with one another. So when the ACC did that, my thought shifted from the, uh, I guess, like slight pessimism about what Ross Ellinger reported Wednesday afternoon to, oh, okay, this probably means this is exactly what the SEC is doing because that's why the ACC is doing it. They did it to preserve those those four specific uh, non-conference games, those four rivalry games. And, and it's kind of funny because now the ACC is a little bit left out to dry. And I guess Clemson, instead of playing South Carolina, is probably going to keep Citadel on their schedule, it looks like. And I don't know necessarily what the other ACC schools are going to do to fill that. But it just it, it took me by surprise because it seemed – like that was done with a wink and a nod and with knowledge of the SEC going forward with that. Um, but it leaves us in, in, in a really in a really interesting position. For the first time since 1908, South Carolina will not be playing Clemson this year. And I think Carolina fans are, you know, uh, I guess torn on it is probably the best way to put it. I, I think most Carolina fans are, are like, understand the circumstances. So that, I mean, it's like, oh, you know, this is a real bummer, but we get it. Um, I've seen some fans say, hey, it's great because that was an automatic loss, so now you don't have that on your schedule. And I've seen other Carolina fans say this is an absolute travesty. And frankly, I, I kind of fall into the latter category. I'm just, I'm really disappointed that they couldn't find a way 
um, to make it work. But Chris, now that you know what the approach is and like take out the COVID-19 part of it, just the, the football part of it, just the entertainment value part of it. Was this the right decision by the SEC? Um, I don't think so in terms of, uh, I don't think so. No, I, I mean, because I think a lot of people point to, you know, and you alluded to it earlier, sort of the geographical thing of it. There, there's more than goes into it than just, you know, hey, you know, you're going to go to say some schools are going to like Clemson go up to Boston College or Syracuse and play. I can't remember which one of those they play on the road this year, but yet they can't play South Carolina. You know, South Carolina can't play Clemson on the road, but yet they can go to, you know, LSU. And it's not just about that. A lot of it was keeping things, you know, sort of in-house because the conferences, for whatever reason, because the NCAA didn't have early established national protocols, you know, a lot of people told me within the SEC that, hey, we just don't know what other conferences are doing. It's like, well, why don't everybody get on the same page? And so the NCAA does have, you know, they, they finally came out with some sort of protocols. So I don't know why it is that they still can't do those things, you know, especially with teams that are close in proximity like Georgia, Georgia Tech, and South Carolina Clemson. Um, I, I think it was a good idea to try to keep the rivalry games. You know, I understand the the one thing I will say is I understand being able to have that flexibility with being able to get into, you know, hey, we're going to play this 10-game season because we all know that they need – 10 games has sort of been that magic number to try to, like, have the playoff, to be able to crown a conference champion, number one, to try to have the playoff. They needed to be able to play as many games as possible. You can't play eight games and then say, all right, here's our four teams or, or whatever. It's sort of tough to do that. You need a bigger sample size. So they wanted to maximize games, and when you keep it in conference, that does give you more flexibility. I will say that, you know, in their defense, it gives you more flexibility in the conference if you have, say, an outbreak on one team, if you need to move some games, because the priority is obviously getting those conference games in. So I do understand that. But it does seem like you could still crown a conference champion with a nine-game schedule and then go play a plus one, Mm -hmm. whether it's your rival or whether it's just an interesting game for the fan base. Um, which, of course, when I say interesting game, that'll probably mostly be people watching mm-hmm. on TV, especially for road games. But I, I do, I would have liked to see them fit in, talking about the SEC, allow for that plus one model. And some schools did want it, including South Carolina. And we've seen now, we're recording this on a Tuesday morning, actually, a day early, just because there was too much to talk about. We couldn't wait. But the uh, I guess Big 12 officially announcing their model as well, and they're going to play the nine conference games, which they already do and don't have really the option to play anymore unless they want to double somebody up. But the added non-conference game, they're going to keep on the schedule, and they're going to play it before the season starts, which is what I thought the SEC could have and maybe should have done. So, Wes, the other part of this that was surprising and a little bit disappointing for a variety of reasons was that the SEC announced they're not going to start the season until September 26th. Uh, you can go surprise on that, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I mean, I, I think once once you push it back, or once you decide to contract the schedule, then you know I assume you would push it back. Um, so it's like one sort of goes hand in hand with the other. Is, is it a good thing? I mean, I, I think it's probably a good thing for uh, the chances of, of getting a season in and being able to play and being in a better position at that point than we probably are in, in a few weeks when you would have been starting. I, I mean, we've seen this virus um, 
you know, its impact can change quickly, either for the better or for for the worst. And you know, I, I think if you look at now, this is just talking from a South Carolina perspective. I, I think one thing that maybe gets lost sometimes in all this is that the local the local situation with the virus for every single school, you know, in their community, their town, their city, what have you, is going to be a little bit different. And just looking at Columbia, just looking at South Carolina, if you look back, you know, the last the last month as far as overall numbers and then the hospital, hospitalizations going up it has been pretty bad um, in our area. Now, if you want to sort of project and look ahead a little bit, it certainly appears that the daily cases have started to plateau and even maybe started to go down. So if that trend continues and, um, you know, whatever we're doing continues to work, then maybe by the time you start to get to, you know, that, that September, that late September date, I think, is it the 26th? Is that right? Um, mm-hmm. Once you start getting to that date, then maybe you're just in a little bit better shape overall to be thinking about sports and playing football and, um, you know, because you, you've had hopefully now a, a month and a half of cases sort of sort of going down in your area. So I think, um, you know, everybody it's, – it's been interesting. Some, I guess, what, some some conferences actually moved their schedule up mm-hmm. um, and are going ahead and, and knocking it out, and then SEC has sort of moved it back. I think one thing to point out here – if you go back, and, and one of the national guys pointed this out, if you go back and, and listen to Greg Sankey talk like a month ago, he had mentioned NFL and sort of following what those, what happens with those guys. And what this sort of does is let it lets the SEC let the NFL go first. Mm. So you're you're able to gather information from the professionals. You're able to gather information from the Big 12. You're able to watch – how this plays out with um, with the other guys, and then learn from what they've done that works, and frankly, learn from their mistakes about sort of handle this. But I think it is sort of it says a lot that the SEC, which we think of as you know, it just means more. We think of as like being football crazed and um, how football first and how much football means, but the SEC has actually sort of been the conference that showed a lot of restraint in this and mm-hmm. didn't hasn't just decided to dive head first into um, into everything. So I think that's uh, I think that says something. Well, and not just because I want to wait, you know, or not just because I don't want to wait another month and a half for football. I, I think it was actually the wrong decision. And again, like I can understand why they made it. And I guess it's nice, maybe from a PR standpoint, that you see the SEC exercising restraint or you know something I don't know I don't think that's necessarily why they did it but again after we saw Oklahoma say hey we're actually going to start our season a little bit earlier and the NCAA was like hey if anybody wants to do this we're totally cool with it go for it I I thought that has to be the solution and again I understand and understood initially because it seemed like the Pac-12 and the Big Ten were kind of thinking the same thing we're going to shorten our schedule we're going to move it back a little bit we're going to start it later. We're going to have the conference championship later. Also, the numbers have a chance to go down. But I feel like, Wes, we're, we're sort of running into the same issue that we were running into when we were talking about spring football, when everyone was like, yeah, maybe you should just wait till the spring. But it's like, yeah, there's there's no guarantee that it's actually going to be better than all you're doing now if you're the SEC. I think the Pac-12 has done this as well. And any other conference that decides they want to start later in the season is you're putting yourself in a bind. You're giving yourself less 
flexibility. So maybe the numbers will look a little bit better. Maybe, possibly, but we have no idea. And they could absolutely spike again within the season. And now you just have there's essentially two open weeks. Everyone gets their their one open week in the middle of the season, and then there's a week off from the end of, or in between the end of the regular season and the conference championship game. Or you know your season's over if you're not in the conference championship game and there are no bowls or whatever. But you just have two weeks to make up games, and you know it, whereas Oklahoma starting the season on August 29th and playing 10 games, if they need to shut it down for two weeks, they can still do that. If they have 40 guys that test positive for COVID-19, they can do that and reschedule games, you know, at a, at another point in the season because they have, you know, almost as many open weeks as they actually do have game weeks. So from that perspective, and I, I guess I'll throw this your way, Chris, and let you weigh in on the on the timing of the schedule. I, I think that that was, I think that was a mistake. And, and if anything, the SEC I think stands to end up playing fewer games than than at least the Big Twelve, which is giving themselves all the flexibility in the world. Yeah, and that will be interesting. I mean, th- this is a concern, and we talked about it on the pod several times. It, this is a concern that people had in the early going, like before numbers sort of took off, you know, uh, as it were, in the United States. You know, people were concerned of, hey, if we have a season, we're, there's that chance out there that there's going to be an outbreak at one school or multiple schools or we're going to have to cancel games or lose games. And so that is still on the table. And so on one hand, you look at the conference-only schedule and understand that by the SEC and the other conferences doing this, that, you know, let's say you're due to play Georgia and one or both teams, you know, has whatever the threshold is going to be, but they go over sort of your threshold of, where you either can't play by whatever protocol they put in or the school says we can't play, we need to reschedule this thing. Well, then you can, in theory, just take another team that's maybe off that week. You try to move some things around. But the thing is, like, you said, like you're saying here, Pearson, is what, what if you got multiple teams? You know, well, well, then what are you going to do? And if you had at least you know, other games on the schedule, whether it's one game or you know, two games out of conference, whatever it may be, then maybe you have a chance, you know, to, you know, get in another game period. I understand how your your priority is getting in. If you want to sh- move the season up and you want to shrink the schedule, then, yeah, obviously you're going to want to put conference first. But it, it seems like there could have been a compromise, you know, in theory that instead of doing 10 conference games, do nine and then, you know, do an out-of-conference game. Um, and then you can always shift that around if you need to. But, it is an interesting question, um, and, you know, I don't really know. I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and sort of pick it apart and say, well, why didn't they do this or that? But really, it couldn't end up being difficult either way. I mean, you, maybe you play nine conference games, and then you're you're due to play Clemson. Or, you know, if you're South Carolina, then that game can't happen. Well, then you're left with just nine games. Do you go try to pick up another conference game? Do you pick up another non-conference opponent? You know, so it, my biggest question is what happens if, you know, maybe not just one conference game because uh, for teams, because you can move those around, but what if a bunch of them, you know, have to get offloaded? Then are you trying to, okay, well, let's, let's just sort of scrap this whole we're going to crown a conference champion idea and let's just, I don't know, go find teams from other conferences. Are they going to allow that? Mm-hmm. I think these are the questions that everybody still has, and they're sort of having to – I don't know, make it up as they go along a little bit because this thing's just a continued moving target. And everybody's sort of really wondering how it's going to go once they actually, you know, they have a plan, but how's it going to go once it's time to actually, you know, execute everything? 
Yeah, I mean, it's an in a, in, an inelegant solution any way you put it. And, I mean, you can poke holes in pretty much, I mean, I don't know, everything that everyone has proposed, you can poke holes in. Again, for Oklahoma, I, I think, I, frankly, I think the Big 12 has done it the right way. You play everybody in your conference, and then you get the one non-con game, and you have as many weeks to, to play it as you can possibly fit into the 2020 calendar year. I, I think that's the right model, but you can have other people saying, well, hey, you know, it's it's – it's probably not safe. It probably doesn't make a lot of sense, and especially if some of those schools are still trying to have fans in the stands, and maybe it's a little bit easier to do. Uh, it seems like South Carolina still wants to do that, and, and if they're trying to put 20,000 people in williams Bryce Stadium, maybe they're anticipating that'll be easier to do in September uh, than it would be in you know three weeks from now, four weeks from now, which would not be tenable at all. So maybe that's uh, part of the conversation um, as well. But as much as I, I, I hate this because... The non-conference games are gone. I hate it because it's being started, the, the season starting later. I think the SEC did a lot of things wrong here. But one thing that I do appreciate, and this wasn't really their decision, there was no scenario in which they were not going to add at least one conference game. I'm I'm glad they've added two. Wes, from an entertainment perspective, not like this is harder or easier for Carolina specifically or anything because you know those arguments are, you know, frankly, different coins, not even two sides of the same coin. But the idea of all the SEC teams just playing 10 conference games makes me as excited for this football season, week in and week out, with no snoozers, except for when everybody, whenever anyone plays Vanderbilt or Arkansas, but no snoozers, every game that matters, every game in conference. This could be one of the most fun, if not the most fun, SEC season we've ever watched. Yeah, it's going to be a uh, basically a 10-round battle oil for everybody who... Yeah, who can sort of hang on at the end? And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see what these schedules look like and, uh, you know, what the two additional teams are for everybody. Um, Obviously, I think um, other than maybe a couple schools, every single fan base is going to say that the schedule has been stacked against them. Um, You know, and and guys are going to get banged up and beat up, and it's going to be very interesting to see how, this, this thing plays out. I I think from an entertainment value standpoint, it's going to be awesome. I think from a real-world standpoint, um, the coaches and the fans are going to really miss those opportunities at some easy wins at the end of the thing. And I, I think um, the expectations, frankly, are going to have to be reset with the fact that every team you play is sort of a little bit closer to being on the same plane you know, as you are compared to a normal year. Yeah, I mean, 500 becomes like a like one heck of a mile marker, and I, I think the the organizers of the bowls are actually looking at lowering the requirement, which isn't a great thing. And you know, again, maybe sends the wrong message, but we are going to see uh, again. Like, I, I don't think anybody will be undefeated in the SEC this year. That that's hard enough to do on a on a regular basis. I, I think you could see a two loss, maybe even a three loss. SEC champion, and that wouldn't surprise me. But ultimately, again, Chris, I think this is just good from an entertainment perspective. And I think I think all three of us generally support the idea of playing more conference games, if for nothing else, than to just play other teams in your conference more often. Like Carolina might add Auburn, and we can speculate on, on how at the SEC we'll choose to add those two teams in just a minute. But Carolina might play Auburn for the first time in six years, um, which is kind of crazy. And obviously we know this happens all the time, but like just the week in week out meaningful games i think we i think we need more of that and i hope that this sends the sec in the right direction and goes well enough that they can 
immediately evaluate after the season and say, hey, you know what, maybe we can add, uh, I, the SEC's not going to go to 10, but maybe at least add one more conference game permanently. Yeah, that will be an interesting conversation. And, and you know, this thing is sort of a broader point, not just in sports, but I had somebody actually in sort of the sports world make this point to me that I thought was really interesting in that the, the pandemic has made people change their behavior in the way that we do things just out of necessity. And then some of those changes, people may just look at it and go, you know what, this is better. Like, like even if you're looking at um, the way that we meet, for instance, I mean, uh, there's plenty and people may disagree with me on this, but there's, there's plenty of like evidence that, you know, for instance, when you're like in a corporate workspace, that meetings, when you call a meeting, a lot of times it's a waste of time. Yeah, hey, I got eight meetings today to make yourself sound important, you know, or something. But like in reality, are are you really are you doing better to have these in person meetings or could you just maybe, I don't know, send a message over Slack or send an email or something? Or could you be better served doing something else? Or like, you know, a lot of depositions for lawyers have been done over Zoom, actually. Well, you know what? That's actually a lot more uh efficient for lawyers and people who have to attend it. So my point is maybe they keep we keep some of these things that we've sort of been forced into doing and altering our behavior, and that could carry over to the sports world too. Um, maybe, you know, the SEC or other conferences looks at it and say, you know, hey, we, we did it this way. Um, that was good. Let's, let's do that in the future. Or that sucked. Let's not do that in the future. You know, I, I think it'll sort of bear itself out over time as far as what people end up doing. But it is it's something that comes up a lot. You know, other conferences play nine games. Uh, the SEC, I think the argument that a lot of coaches are going to have um, is that it, it's tough enough, you know, year in and year out. And, and that's not just SEC. Some other mm-hmm. – there, there's another – other schools and other conferences have a really tough road. Like, you know, in the Big Ten, for example, some schools have just – a murderer's row if you're in a certain division it's very very tough to sort of make so it is going to depend on school it's going to depend on circumstance um for some sec programs that are going to play just a tough schedule every year you know look at south carolina man they got to play in the sec every year um they're going to play georgia every year who's probably going to be good for a long time and then you go outside of that they got to play clemson every year mm-hmm. so it's not like okay you play your eight-game SEC schedule, and then you get four sort of gimmies. No, you play your eight-game SEC schedule, you play Clemson, and then, you know, sometimes you even have a a tough, you know, another tough out-of-conference game. So you're not getting a lot of gimmies, you know, and so I think that's probably – you're going to see some pushback from coaches on that. But it will be interesting. But that is just – I mean, that's – I hate that. That's pathetic. That's just the biggest loser mentality ever – not to you know steal a phrase from a divisive figure, but I mean it, it, it's unbelievable if you are gonna if you're gonna stand on your soapbox and say the SEC is the best football conference in the entire universe in the entire entire history of the world forever and always, and it just means more, and we just love football and all this stuff, and then say well actually no, but but well, we only love you know our football this much, and we want to pad the rest of our schedule with these other stupid patsies and FCS games. Like I just I think that sends the wrong message, and frankly, it's embarrassing. Uh, so I guess I'll ask you this, Wes, other than the coaches, because Chris is right, and for them it's not even so much about pride and, and it's not embarrassing. It's like for them it's their job, and so much of keeping a job or getting fired has to do with what is your record at the end of the season, and if you have to play nine or ten conference games, that's not going to be great. Now maybe you can say that the bar is 
going to be moved or, or would be moved if you had more conference games. But they're thinking about their livelihood. So it's understand it's understandable if they want to push back on that. But other than the coaches, Wes, do you think there's anybody that's going to watch 10 weeks of all SEC football and get to the end of the season and be like, yeah, that, that sucked. I want, to watch, I want to watch Carolina play Charleston Southern again. Well, I mean, from a game day game, you know, standpoint, entertainment standpoint, no, obviously not. Now, I think from a win-loss standpoint, um, you know, people are going to say right now, you know, right now they're going to be like, you know, I, I, I love this SEC idea, but a couple of, uh, a couple of bad seasons in a row, and, and maybe that, that would change your mind real quick. And I, I think, the, you know, the old Miss AD, I think, came out and said, uh, you know, this, this makes it nearly impossible for a team to build. Uh, like, if you're, if you're at the top of the SEC right now, um, you know, it, it's, that's, that's one thing, and, and you can probably handle this. But if you're at the bottom of the, the totem pole, and now you're just going to get beat up every week by teams with a however many year head start on you as far as the building process goes, then you're probably going to really hate this. And I, I think, you know, the, the issue that coaches have is that, okay, yes, um, I, I get your point, but the ACC, most of the, you know, how, how many games in an all ACC schedule are going to be as difficult as an SEC team is going to have week in, week out. So are, are we going to if – if the best SEC team um, goes seven and three, are we still putting them in the college football playoff? Well, we should. And this, this brings me to a, a larger point and, like, dangerously close to a tangent. But we all, in the interest of conference expansion, in the interest of college football playoff expansion, we all need to be more comfortable – putting teams that aren't undefeated or one-loss teams in the playoff and understanding that they can be, you know, some of the best teams in the country. Utah and Auburn, well, I can't remember if Utah finished with one or two losses, but Auburn finished with, like, three losses last year, and they were a fantastic team. I mean, they had some issues, and Bo Nix was inconsistent, as you would expect with a freshman quarterback. But by and large, like, Auburn was a fantastic team, and I would have put them up against, you know, basically anybody else in the country, even though they had three losses. So I, I think we are sophisticated enough as a sports watching audience now to understand like you know that team had a really tough schedule they had a tough break here and there you know whatever if they have two or three losses that's okay like they can still be one of the best teams in the country I mean look at the New York Giants they won the Super Bowl and they they were what nine and seven or eight and eight got in as a wild card and they got uh, hot and healthy at the right time that allows you to you know say who is the best team at the end of the season not who gamed their schedule the right way which is you know I don't know what 40% 40% of college football right now is just, oh, yep, your, your schedule sucks this year. You're not going to be good. Or, hey, you got a break. You got all your tough games at home. You played 19 FCS schools. You're going to be undefeated. You're going to go to the playoff. You're not going to have any injuries. You're not going to have to deal with anything. Like, why is it up to the SEC and the NCAA to make this as easy as possible for schools? This, that, that's, like, antithetical to the spirit of competition. But I, they're they're not making it easy if they already are playing the most difficult schedules in the country. Would be my point. Would be my response to that. If if you look at the most difficult schedules in the country each year, the SEC is already at the top of that list while playing uh, cupcakes and their their uh, difficult. I mean, how, how many gimmies do SEC schools actually have on their schedule? I mean, if you're playing, if you're if you're South Carolina and you're playing Clemson 
as your you know your out of conference game, and then last year you played North Carolina as well, and then hey, play App State too. I mean, how how many actual gimmies are there? On South Carolina's schedule, yeah, last but why, year, do you, why do you want uh, gimmies? There, there are no gimmies one. in an NFL schedule. There are no gimmies in a Major League Baseball schedule or an NBA schedule. There are no gimmies. You know, Vanderbilt, Arkansas. If Carolina plays, you know, Vanderbilt, no, no, Missouri, no, no, Kentucky, being, Arkansas, gimm- and Ole Miss this year throughout the ACC schedule. There's gimmies throughout the ACC schedule. Sure, yeah, they're, they're, that's fine. And you know, the bottom of the Pac-12, and and you could. There are certain people that would you know make the same argument for the SEC for the schools that I just mentioned that are rebuilding. And historically speaking, it's not necessarily the best argument but again like we should have enough nuance to say if you play in the sec and you finish a season 11 and 2 and you're a conference champion you're still probably going to be better and have and be more battle tested than someone that goes undefeated in the acc just because of the level of competition so i i I, aren't we all responsible enough to to understand that and have that conversation intelligently rather than just well you lost two games so you're out i don't care that it was to alabama and auburn and they were both on the road meanwhile you know clemson beat Wake Forest and FCS Tech, like they're clearly a better football team. Shouldn't we be able to discern those things? Well, I, if I can jump in, I don't know. First of all, we're not – if we're talking about the collective, I don't know that we're intelligent enough to discuss much of anything at this point and, uh, based on, based on yeah, what, what we've seen. But, but, you know, yes, I mean, we can definitely have those conversations, but I, I think you look at the people who matter, you know, like the decision makers, which would be, you know, and, and for the purposes of this conversation, be the college football playoff committee. And so I think another sort of side concern that people would have is let's say that an SEC school, I don't know, let's say they, they go 11, let's say they play the hardest schedule in the country and almost everybody agrees that it's the hardest schedule in the country. They play like four top five teams, five top five teams or whatever, whether it's between the SEC slate and one or two conference, you know, let's say they play two out of conference games. They're both ranked. I mean, it's just a murderer's row schedule in and out of conference. And let's say they lose two of those. Then let's say they go to Atlanta and they lose that game by a field goal. So then they got three losses and they don't win their conference title. And then you stack them up against a team that, I don't know, maybe like the ACC champion or the Pac-12 champion has, they don't play much of anybody in that given particular year. That's just how it breaks. And they have, like, one loss. Um, and then there's a couple other schools who have no losses. Play. You know what I'm saying? So you could eventually get to the point where coaches, if, if that happens to a few schools, particularly if they're very influential, you know, schools and, and coaches, then it's going to really be hard on that system because if they got left out, they're going to be sitting there saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We played the hardest schedule in the country, and we're being punished for doing that just because we happened to drop a few games. So that's, I guess that's just sort of the other side of it because we saw that back in the BCS era. Well, we see that that's with college basketball that. too. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, South Carolina got left out of the tournament, et cetera. And, it, and so you do see that. So I guess that's just the counterpoint in that mm-hmm. some people are going to look at the SEC and say, look, it's hard enough already. You know, yeah, what if we add another conference game, we make it even tougher, and then what if we get through that schedule? I mean, you can't expect you can't expect anybody in any conference to go undefeated the entire year. I mean, like that's not an expectation many schools have or even should have. But if you happen to get through and play really, really well, even in with the toughest schedule in the country, then you get left out as your reward and you feel like stacked up to other teams that you should you should have that way in your favor, but it doesn't because, mm-hmm. again, we're, 
we're counting on humans here, then you're going, oh, my God, like, why'd we do this? So mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's sort of the, the other side of it. No, and, that, and that's a that's a fair point, but that's why we have the college football playoff committee, to, to be able to make those decisions. Yeah. And, again, it's not going to be perfect, and you're always going to have one or two teams that feel like they're being left out, that feel like you know their their schedule was being too harshly judged or their losses were being too harshly judged or they didn't get enough credit for you know their quality wins or, or whatever the case may be but that that's kind of the the point of all this and and it's one of the frustrate one of the most frustrating but also I think one of the best things about college football because again when you get into the pros you have tiebreakers you have like you know 15,000 tiebreakers you know even probably going down to a coin flip they have a way to figure it out mathematically because you can have a greater standardization of scheduling and and all these things that make it more tenable. So you don't necessarily have to have these, these uncomfortable discussions, but that's one of the things that we like about college football. That's why they implemented a playoff committee. And I think that's why it's largely been successful. But I I just, I, I think the best case scenario for this year would be that all five conference champions finish the season with at least one loss. Because again, I, I just think we need to get more comfortable than that. And, or more comfortable with that, and and for the SEC specifically, um, Wes, I, I hear what you're saying that they say they already play the hardest schedule in the country, but it, it's just weird to be like, this is the best football conference, we play the toughest schedule, but you know we we want to make it as easy as possible. You know, it's like if that's if that's going to be the drum that you bang, I feel like you lean into that, you lean into competition, and our conference is so tough week in and week out. But it, I mean, pretty soon. Because obviously the Big 12 is playing their nine games. The the Big 10 and the Pac-12 are playing their nine games. The ACC and the SEC are the lone holdouts. Um, I, I guess I don't have any reason to believe that the ACC would make that decision uh, before the SEC does. But it, it's just going to it's gonna start to, to be a little weird. Again, I, I think especially after we see a full season of it. Because other than some Carolina fans that are mad when Carolina finishes 4-6 and six or 3-7 and seven this year, and some coaches that you know probably get in trouble or lose favor with the fan base because of it. I think the general college football watching public will say this was awesome because who seriously who wants to watch? I get it. It's nice to you know take your family to Carolina Charleston Southern because there's no traffic and there's no stress and whatever. But other than that, who wants that game or anything like it on the schedule? Well, I mean Carolina had one game like that last year. Like let's not act like they aren't scheduling. I mean, they scheduled North Carolina, and then obviously you have the Clemson game. Okay. And then they, the other game was App State, who they lost to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's not – I mean, I, I can certainly see – I mean, I think Alabama, they're out of conference stuff a lot of years is is pretty boring. No, it's, uh, it's a joke. It's not just South Carolina. It's all across the SEC. And if I can interrupt you for one second, because I, I, I wrote this down a couple months ago. I just looked as far ahead as Carolina had scheduled. And in addition to Clemson, here are all of the non-conference games that South Carolina has scheduled. Tell me, I think there are maybe three on here that are worth watching. Miami and North Carolina, you know, cool. And then here are the rest. Tell me which one of these games you're excited to watch and, and won't be hoping to turn off. I mean, obviously, we're, we know none of us are turning it off because we have to watch the whole thing. But you know what I mean? Like, the fans aren't going to be hoping to turn off by the midway through the third quarter or into the third quarter. Coastal Carolina. East Carolina twice, maybe. Okay, you know, you give maybe like one of those close games, although that wouldn't be good for Carolina. Wofford twice. Eastern Illinois, didn't even know that was a school until they scheduled it. Troy, Georgia State, Furman, Liberty, Akron. Maybe you put Appalachian State in the watchable category because they just beat Carolina last year. But, like, who? for whom does that move the needle? That's embarrassing. That doesn't need to happen anymore. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what else I, mean, I, don't know what else I can add. I'm, I mean, I'm, but are you, you're not excited to watch those games, right? <laughs> no, I mean, but that, again, that's, I mean, even you mentioned the NFL schedule. 
Um, I mean, even the NFL gives the teams that lost the year before an easier schedule and the teams that won the year before a more difficult schedule. They adjust their schedule to try and create parity and try and create a better product. So, I mean, I, I just – I don't know. If you're already playing a difficult schedule, there's a reason that coaches are going to want to have games to get young players in, have games to try to heal up, have games from a developmental standpoint to build depth. And, um, I, just, I mean, again, if, yes, the, the game South Carolina has still moving forward. Those probably don't really move the needle. But if you're – Right now, there's really no incentive not to schedule wins. I, I guess so. Again, that's just to me that just I don't know. It sends the wrong message. It's more about gamesmanship than actually playing football and playing competitive football games and trying to you know beat the best to be the best and all that. But I, I guess this is uh, a pointless argument right now. I, I guess I'm just I, I just am excited. I'm very excited. I, I know I sound like super negative right now, but I just am very very excited to see a 10 game conference schedule, and I, I hope that it makes it a lot harder for the ACC and SEC to go back to you know just their regular uh, standard scheduling. Uh, with that, the other thing that we don't know, and I, I think may have an answer by the end of the week or by early next week, and I, I guess I'll toss this over to you, Chris, to see if you've heard anything about which way the SEC is leaning in terms of the two conference games that they will add. I've seen a couple different proposals floated. Do you have a sense or just an educated guess in how the SEC will add those two extra conference games this year? Not not a great sense um, yet. Um, of course, they'll probably come out with a plan as soon as we uh, drop this on the site, I would imagine. But um, I, I uh, I've heard a few different you know potential iterations. Wes and I have independently heard that something could come about this week. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Wes, but I think you alluded to that as well. Um, you know, yeah, I, I heard. Figuring... I actually heard early early this week was the hope. So we'll see. Yeah. And, and as you would imagine, with, with anything that's been discussed, there are a bunch of different opinions, including you know, some of the league's coaches, the leadership, there's some different ideas about how to get there. And so, um, one, uh, not, not to, you know, throw, throw gas on Pearson's flame here, but one consideration for some schools is who are we going to get stuck with on our schedule? You know, are we going to have to go, you know, play, you know, Alabama and some other team because of how it breaks or whatever? And so some schools are looking at that. Um, now, will that ultimately matter? I don't know. Um, but, you know, for instance, there's been a model of, hey, just pull two opponents, one each from your next two-year schedule. There's been, uh, you know, play a home-and-home home with somebody. I haven't really heard that as much, but I guess that's still out there. Um, there's a consideration of pick one at random and then pull one from your schedule next year. So that would be like, I guess that'd be like the Auburn situation and then pick another one at random, I guess, I don't know, Mississippi State or somebody, you know, just pick somebody like that. So there have been a few different thoughts out there. I haven't heard anything concrete, but there's, you know, been a lot of discussion on it and some different models as there has been with everything else. I can't wait to find out who it is. And I think, like, the, the model that is uh, that makes the most sense is basically the, the two – cross-division opponents that were going to rotate into your schedule the next two years or the teams that you get. And for Carolina, that would be Auburn and Arkansas, which I think is probably a best-case scenario for Carolina fans uh, because, again, the, the schedule's already going to be hard. Carolina fans want to see them bounce back from 4-8. and eight. Arkansas would be as winnable a game as you get in the SEC other than maybe Vanderbilt. And I also think Carolina fans just, just like playing Auburn. At least that's the sense that I got as we uh, sort of talked about it on Friday and yesterday on 
uh, on our local show is just that, hey, you know, it, it's kind of cool to play Auburn, and Carolina doesn't play them that often. Actually, you know, I looked, and Carolina has actually played East Carolina more than, uh, I think, more than Auburn and one other, maybe maybe Ole Miss. They've played East Carolina more often than Auburn in one of the Mississippi schools since they entered the SEC. So I think Carolina fans would just be uh, happy to see that. Wes, uh, how would you feel about Arkansas and Auburn if that is how they go? I think that's maybe maybe one of your best-case scenarios. Arkansas starting over, completely new staff. I mean, um, it's tough, I'm sure, having to install an entire new system. You know, we talked about South Carolina installing a new offense, but installing you everything right now has got to be tough. So, from a winnability standpoint, you probably look at Arkansas from a, a fun game standpoint. Auburn. It also gives you an opportunity. You're always looking for opportunities and an opportunity to win a game you've, you've never won is um, is something that is always nice as well. So you have a nice mix, I think, of, of winnability in one of the games and of a fun matchup in, in the other. And I, you know, I was going to say, and that, that would be a fun trip for the fans, but obviously um, that comment would only be in normal years. I, I don't know this year if any fans are going to be allowed to you know, travel to away games. If you played at Auburn, that is a pretty cool uh, venue to play in. But this, mm-hmm. you know, at least this current iteration of the Gamecock team has not had a chance to actually go play in that venue. So, um, you know, that would be kind of cool for those guys. Yeah, they haven't been to the Plains since, what, 2011? Because Auburn came to Columbia in 2014, right? No, that that game, the Auburn game uh, was at Auburn in 2014. That was, oh, was the one where Steve Steve Spurrier just went screw it mode. And, oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, went went for it on fourth for, down every time. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Okay, all right, that's right. Okay, but yeah, point has been a been well. Gosh, it will be even longer than since uh, since the last time Auburn came to Columbia. But again, next time we talk, I imagine we will have a clearer idea of the schedule. We can sort of break it down, go game by game. And uh, as we are now, I guess recording this. Uh, like eight weeks from now will be game week for South Carolina. So next week we can start our position group breakdown as we, again, have a firm date on when the season's actually going to start, which is very exciting. But before we get out of here today, uh, a couple of news notes, one recruiting, one with the current roster. And uh, Wes, I'll start with you, although, Chris, I know you spoke to this guy's coach, so I'll get both of y'all's thoughts on this. But, Wes, um, it was announced a little bit earlier this week that South Carolina was going to get a transfer to help bolster its receiving group, where I think we all agree uh, Carolina has the most question marks going into the season. So Jalen Brooks is an interesting guy, someone that uh, a name that I don't think a lot of Carolina fans necessarily knew. You described him as something of a late bloomer, but what do you know about Jalen Brooks and his transfer into Carolina? Yeah, it's really an intriguing get for Carolina. This is a kid that spent the last two years at uh, at Wingate. He's originally from from North Carolina, sort of near the, the Charlotte area, and. Um, you know, I, I get there's an initial sort of, all right, you know, taking a, a D2 guy, um, you know, can this kid play? And, you know, I, I think you watch the film and you see a tall kid, you see a guy that can run, he can get open. Um, you know, so I have independently had like two people who have been around the kid a lot say this is arguably the hardest working player I've ever been around, which I think speaks volumes. Um, he, he was a late bloomer. Um Lots of connections to the state of South Carolina. His uh, his head coach or former head coach, who Chris talked to, Jason Seidel, is actually now the the coach in Blythewood. Uh, the kid spent some of his younger years um, at Northwestern during uh, during his JV years. And uh, yeah, just uh, I mean, I talked to one of my friends at, at Northwestern, 
he was like, yeah, when the kid was here, he was like five foot nine. And uh, he's just, he's grown, um, sort of grown into his body, gotten bigger, gotten faster, and um, has really developed. And I, I think, you know, I, I get it, and I, I'm not trying to build the expectations that this kid's going to come in and, like, be Brian Edwards and, you know, and be the number one receiver, et cetera, et cetera. But if you watch the film, I mean, I think he's a guy that can help South Carolina. Uh, now the big question becomes, does the NCAA grant him a waiver to play this year? Or does he have to wait a year? But, you know, guys come from, from D2 from or, uh, you know, FCS level, which is he was going to transfer to a school that was about to go FCS. And, um, you know, guys come from that, those levels and go to the NFL all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, you have late bloomers. You have situations where a guy just isn't on the radar and goes down there and balls out. So, um, yeah, I see why if you're South Carolina – are you taking a little bit of a chance? Could you see it that way? Yes, but they need help in the receiving core. This is a big, fast kid. Why, you know, why not? I think is uh, is the way I look at this. Yeah, and I'll say just like full disclosure. I think on this podcast last year, I, I kind of I raised a lot of questions that I think Carolina fans probably have now uh, about Brooks, about Nick Muse. I'm like, hey, he's been playing at William and Mary. Like, what exactly is he going to bring? And I was, you know, dead wrong on that. He, you know, he had. Uh, a little bit of trouble with fumbles and a, and a couple of drops and untimely situations last year, but I think by and large is has shown that he's more than capable of being a really important piece of this offense, and I think will be this year. Has dynamicism once he has the ball in his hand. So I was totally wrong on Nick Muse. So I'm not going to say a word about Jalen Brooks until I actually see him get on the football field. But Chris, you spoke with his coach, um, and I, I guess heard similarly glowing things uh, as Wes heard. Yeah, I mean the the things that Sidell. Coach Seidel uh, coached him, I think, his junior and senior year at Hickory Ridge in North Carolina. He really just talked about his sort of progression. You know, he was a guy that he played a, alongside Jarrett Garner, who signed, uh, and they were best friends, really. Um, and, and he and Jarrett Garner ended up signing with Duke. And, you know, Jalen really progressed his senior year. That's sort of, he was one of those late bloomer guys that really blew up. Um, and and just really took it to the next level. But, you know, he talked about some of his attributes, and he talked about his work ethic. You know, that was the thing that really stood out as Seidel said, look, he's probably the hardest-working kid I've ever had. And, and as Wes has said, you know, multiple guys have said that. He said Seidel said that, you know, you sort of really got to slow him down. He's just got a tremendous work ethic. A lot of the kids, even at Blythewood, have gotten to know him um, and has sort of followed his journey. And he's been sort of inspirational to them because they got a lot of seniors that, you know, because of the pandemic have not been able to go to camps. The recruiting sort of been slower or on hold. And Jalen's, you know, story has shown them that, you know, it may, it may take a tough route, but if you're patient, you know, you may end up getting a, a really, really tremendous chance, but he's a big kid, you know, a, a legit six three six four that can run long. He's got good ball skills has a really good work ethic. And so um, he, he really raved about the kid just for the type of person that he is and said he's going to be a really quality locker room, you know, individual. And we'll uh, keep you all posted, obviously, uh, if the NCAA does grant him that waiver. Although, of course, before we get a chance to talk about it on the podcast, Wes or Chris or someone over there will have it on GamecockCentral.com where you all should be subscribers. Uh, not that there's been any shortage of content during the shutdown, but especially now that we are picking things up, uh, officially – Preseason camp starts on August 7th, just three days from now. We haven't even mentioned that, and uh, we heard from Ray Tanner earlier this week that that is still 
that that is still uh, scheduled to start on time. And I guess we can spend a little more time talking next week once we have a a clear idea of what that would look like. But boy, oh boy, I mean, this could just be a, a forever preseason camp for South Carolina. A lot of practices, but good news if you're trying to install a new offense as South Carolina is. That's a a whole other discussion that we'll uh, have next week. But just one more news note that we have time for before we get out of here today. And, uh, Wes, it seems like you got a little bit more clarity after rumors were circulating on Twitter over the last couple days about freshman quarterback Luke Doty, who I think some Carolina fans either thought or hoped would be in the mix for the quarterback battle, actually getting a little bit of run at wide receiver. Now, keep in mind, we're just in a sort of OTA-style workout, so no pads have been put on, just some walkthroughs, more meetings, 20-hour weeks, that kind of thing. But what do you know about Luke Doty's involvement with the wide receiver core? Yeah, it's sort of interesting that that came out. And, I, uh, you know, I, I have confirmed he has taken reps at, at wide receiver. Um, you know, now he's still taking reps as, at quarterback as well. I think important to remember long-term, Luke Doty is a quarterback. You know, that that's where they see him. They're very, very high on him at quarterback. And, um, you know, I, I think has been we, – we've consistently said it. He's been one of the more impressive – guys in this freshman class uh you know among the team and I, I think really what this boils down to is that we're at the point in the process where you know you're building your team for this year you're trying to find out who can help and where can they help and, and um Luke Doty is is actually literally one of the best athletes on the team um he's one of the fastest guys on the team and I, I think they're looking to find out and you know are there guys that would otherwise be standing on the sidelines that could possibly help this team this year so um yeah he's taking some reps there he's still taking reps at quarterback he's worked some i've been told off off the field sort of on his own uh catching passes with the quarterbacks and, and getting acclimated with the offense and um you know that that obviously raised the question is this can, can he actually help the team this year at wide receiver or is this more of just an experiment i think if you the the skill set there, I, I think there's a real chance that that Luke could end up playing some snaps at, at receiver. But that's obviously going to be determined by you know how things go in camp. Um, what do the other returning receivers do? Very clearly, as we've talked about, they need guys to step up at receiver. And uh, Luke's an athlete. Um, he's a competitor, and um, also he's he's a team first guy. So I, I think this is something that when you have a kid who who will do anything to help the team you have to try and sort of see how, how it plays out. So I think it's worth watching. You know, we talked a long time ago about the possibility of Luke Doty playing like a Taysom Hill type role early in his career where you move him around some, you give him the ball at quarterback, you get him the ball maybe in some other ways, you do some trick plays with him. At the very least, I think you'd look for some of that type of stuff being a part of what South Carolina does. But again, you know, we're recording this, what is it, August 3rd, something Fourth. like that, yep. um, August 4th. So this is the time of year where you're trying to figure out what's going to work, what's not. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, you owe it to yourself as a as a program to try and figure out who, who are your best guys, you know, who's, who are your best 22 on any given side, who can help you out. And, um, you know, the, the more I hear, obviously – Shai Smith is going to be the, the person counted on to be the number one receiver. Past that, we've been trying to lock in on who's uh, who's next on that list. The more I hear Xavier Leggett 
is the one that I, I think the staff is counting on, is hoping he can be next in line at receiver. I still think the on Joyner can help that group in some ways. But, you know, you look, and I, I've heard good things about Rico Powers as far as the freshmen go. He's probably, I would say, the farthest along right now from what I've heard of the freshman receivers. But there's such a wide open opportunity there. You you know, you look at Luke, you look at the skill set, and um, I think my guess is the staff just said, hey, we owe it to, to the team to try and find out if, if he can help us there. And like I said, Luke's, Luke's always going to be someone. He, he did the same thing early on in his high school career. Um, had an upperclassman ahead of him at quarterback. So he started his career at receiver and then ultimately moved back to, to quarterback full-time. Well, this isn't uncommon. You know, Julian Edelman was a quarterback in college before eventually settling in a wide receiver at the NFL and a very good one at that. Uh, you mentioned Taysom Hill. The other one that obviously comes to mind, too, is Tim Tebow just being used in spot work on that what, that first Florida National Championship team in, uh, in 2006, just kind of coming in, doing things here and there. And the other part of this, now this is not anything that I've gleaned from talking to anybody, but just, uh, I don't know, kind of putting two and two together, is it was always going to be a long shot for him to compete for the QB one job this year, just as a freshman, when you're competing with Ryan Helensky, who started a full year in the SEC, and Colin Hill, who's a grown man and played a lot of college football, even though he's recovering from injury. But for all the Carolina fans that wanted to see that and maybe just thought it would be exciting to have a more mobile quarterback, I think that always been have been a bad scenario for Carolina. You can spin it like, yes, it's good. He came in and he won it as a freshman, but you want your incumbents and the veteran guys to be good enough to to keep those jobs. So if he were just gonna you know, sit there as a, as a QB3, although as we saw last year, maybe maybe you need your QB3 a little more often uh, than you would think. But if he's going to sit there at QB3 and, and probably just redshirt, like why not, like you're saying, Wes, just see what he can do to help the team. So I, I, think that's, I think that's good because it speaks to the coaching staff's confidence that it will be either Colin Hill or Ryan Helensky, that they don't need to, you know, have a three-man quarterback battle this preseason camp. Not that he won't necessarily be involved, but... Um, if they feel comfortable enough to to let him get some reps at wide receiver, that's probably good. Um, and again, anybody that you can get to to bolster that position, whether it's Luke Doty, whether it's Colin Hill. I mean, not Colin Hill, uh, Jalen Brooks. Uh, obviously, if he's uh, if he's allowed to play, if he gets the transfer from the NCAA. Uh, but Chris, my question for you with Luke Doty, on Joiner, Jay Urich, Bailey Hart. You got to go back a little bit to get to Tanner McAvoy, and that was a, a certainly a more uh, circuitous route to getting from quarterback to wide receiver, but has any college team recruited more quarterbacks that ended up playing wide receiver than South Carolina? Oh boy, let me go through my database of all like however many thousands of football teams. Yeah, well, but didn't Brendan Nosevich end up being a, a wide receiver for a little bit too? I mean, it's incredible. It's like every third string he, South Carolina quarterback is just a wide receiver. He moved to uh, you know what? And the funny thing about you say bringing up. Nasi is I'd forgotten about that that he moved he moved to like wasn't it tight end West like an H back like tight end type of role yeah um, I I feel like he did do it at South Carolina for a little bit I could okay. be mistaken yeah. Man, and then he I, went to memory right then he went to BC and he definitely played on that you know <laughs> side of the ball like a tight end or a fullback type of deal so yeah um I, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, look when you when you take guys um, as quarterbacks who so there's a couple dynamics to it. When you sign a guy who's a straight quarterback, right? It's a unique position because typically 
in almost all cases, a quarterback, I mean, he's the quarterback. He's the, If you're the starting quarterback, you're the only quarterback that has the ball. You know, you're not sharing carries at running back. You're not one of three to six, you know, three starting receivers, five or six that play. Um, you're not a, a rotation guy on the D-line, for example. You know, I mean, it's just different. And so if you're signed as a quarterback and then at some point if you're not playing, you know, some guys may stick around for the duration, uh, even up until they graduate. But a lot of times quarterbacks want to play. And so they're going to look at it and say, okay, if I'm a quarterback and that's all I'm – all I either want to do or capable of doing or both, I'm going to go somewhere else and play. And you want to sign a good quarterback every year in almost all instances. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you take guys like the ones that you mentioned who um, either, you know, they play quarterback, you maybe you sign them as a quarterback, and for whatever reason it doesn't work out, it might just be you got a guy or two guys ahead of them in their development, and, and they may look at it and the coaching staff may look at it or both and go, hey, you can do something else and you can help us. And then they have to decide, do I want to do that, right? So, I mean, it's just I, – I chalk a lot of it up. And, and, you know, I don't know, man, the the relative – you know, there have been several guys at South Carolina, as you pointed out. I don't know how that stacks up to some others, probably more than others, less than others. I don't know. But um, it's just a unique position because of the dynamics. So, if you do take guys that are capable of doing something else for you, whether it's short-term or long-term, then if they're capable of playing somewhere else they can help, then that's something you look at doing. You know, mm-hmm. And sometimes it happens earlier, sometimes it may happen later. Yeah. I mean, ne- never bad to have athletes on your team, never had bad sure. to have you know, just, just good football guys on your team. It's just, it's just really funny. And you know, for a while it was a trend, and now I feel like this has to be- become like a, a running joke or something. Because like, seriously, that was what I thought when I first saw this on Twitter. I was like, Luke Doty playing wide receiver? It's like somebody's just, somebody's just messing because this seems to happen like, Every single year, that some South Carolina quarterback becomes a wide receiver. But again, I guess that uh, credit credit to them for you know having having that uh, that kind of athleticism at that uh, at that position. But um, anyway, that's uh, the latest on that. Uh, nothing to I don't think overly worry about again, unless you were a Carolina fan that just wanted to see Luke Doty starting at quarterback, first guy under center for Carolina week one of the season. Which you know, even though that's you know now pushed back a little bit and he has a little more time in practice, I don't ever think that was particularly. Uh, likely but any other developments we get on that we will discuss on a later podcast and again Wes and Chris will have on GamecockCentral.com where you should subscribe be a member you should also subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it because that's a great way to support the podcast and helps us out a lot Uh, but for Wes for Chris I'm Pearson thanks so much for listening and uh, next week we'll be back we'll have hopefully a clearer picture of what South Carolina schedule specifically will look like so maybe go through that and then start uh, start our position group breakdown as we are eight weeks and change away from the actual start of the football season we know for sure so cross your fingers nothing changes between now and then but thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week okay round two name something that's not boring laundry Ooh, a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details